from next door and she bragged about her son with his uniform and gun and this thing she called a good old-fashioned war calling uh, sisters and brothers welcome to veterans voice radio show on kboo 90.7 fm in portland vancouver area and 104.3 fm in the willamette valley and 91.9 fm in the columbia rivers gorge or on worldwide web at kboo.fm you can also hear our older song, our older shows on kboo.fm slash Veterans Voice. I'm Marvin, and today Sonia is going to be my engineer. And we're going to play another song right now for you. Go ahead and play the number two song.
through these fields of destruction Baptisms of fire I've witnessed your suffering As the battle reached time And the I got this uh, message from Angie the other day. Uh, we keep in contact quite a bit because she's, she's my friend. But it's uh, about f uh, uh, female veterans. And uh, she uh, it's from the Mayo Clinic. And she sent it down to me. I'm going to read what it says here. Uh, female veterans can face significant barriers to receiving proper care. As the number of female service members increase, what can we do 
to help address these barriers and facilitate access to the care they need. What resources exist and, and how do we identify this population if they do not readily self-identify as veterans? And that's a real problem. And they give out uh, two different places that you can get on the web. Uh, one is macvso.org. And the other one is nacvso.org. And also, if you can go on the uh, also on the web, you can go on to the VA Women's Health Resource Network. Just put that in, and it'll hook you up uh, with uh, different things that the Veterans Administration can has that that has. And that's one of the problems is the VA was mainly meant for men because for years, you know, that was primarily who was who was in the service, and now it's starting to be more and more women in the service and so that's a, a whole different uh medicine you know taking care of care of the uh the our, our female uh, veterans and that needs needs to improve um telling you uh you know that you know we've talked i've talked about the uh, women veterans before but the suicide rate is just horrendous uh a female veteran is 250% more to commit a suicide than women that have not been in the military. And that is just amazing, just so sad that, that these women have to go through that. Uh, some of the reasons are that these women, uh, uh, like they don't, you know, come out as being uh, veterans and they have, a, especially if they've been overseas to uh, one of the useless wars that, that we've had, uh, uh, they, these women will come back with post-traumatic stress disorder, also military uh, sexual trauma, which is a big problem in the military, and sometimes they'll come back with, with physical wounds, and they'll come back, and, and a, a lot of these women will get divorced or you know, or they will commit suicide. Uh, the unemployment rate for for uh, female veterans is really high. Uh, a lot of them, like I said, have been divorced and they have children that need to be taken care of. Uh, they don't feel comfortable going to the VA and being seen by a male doctor, and that's a, you know that's a problem. Also, there's a drug. Drug use, just like in alcohol use, just like in in uh, male veterans, but these women have uh, have a, a lot rough rougher than the men do, and uh, there's got to be the VA has just got to be pushed and pushed and pushed. The Veteran Administration has got to be pushed and pushed and pushed to uh, to make things better for 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 my sister veterans uh, than they than they are right now. And uh, that's a real problem, and I think that we should should really put some pressure on the, on the VA for doing that. I know I do. I want to talk a little bit about the you know the shootings that that was just you know in El Paso and Dayton uh, when a both of them used. Uh, military-style uh, assault rifles and killed all these people. You know, they always try to pull this thing and say, well, mental, mental, you know, he has a mental problem, What you, you know, which, you know, may be true, but also hate and anger are not mental problems. You know, these folks have anger, deep anger and hate, and they... The guy that shot all the people up in uh, El Paso admitted he was going after uh, Hispanics, and he and he went after Hispanics, and he killed a lot of Hispanics. And but there has to be something done. These 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 rifles are not made uh, for you know deer hunting or 
whatever. You know, they're, the the only thing, the only difference I can see is from the M16 I carried in Vietnam and these assault rifles is the M16s in Vietnam had a selector switch. And you could put it on full automatic or you could put it on, you know, single shot. When you pull your trigger, it, it still fires out a, a round as fast as you can pull your trigger. The only difference is, like I say, is that selector switch. And I knew that they weren't going to do anything about these assault weapons, you know, after what happened in Las Vegas and then the school, the schools in Florida and different places. Uh, I knew they weren't going to do it before that. I knew because I, I remembered back to December of 2012 uh, at Sandy Hook Elementary School when this young, angry man took the uh, assault rifle that he that his mother had and he murdered his mother and then he went to the school, this elementary school, and he killed 20 children between the ages of six and seven, six and seven, and then he killed six uh, adults. But he killed children, 20 children, with this autumn, with this uh, assault rifle, and nothing was done. They didn't pass any laws to change anything. When they accept the, the, the murder of children and they're not going to do anything about it, there's, there's something bad wrong. 20 children, ages 6 and 7, and nothing was done after that. No ban on assault weapons. It took them forever to get a ban on bump stocks, which the man in... Uh, Las Vegas use where you put that on your semi-automatic rifle and it can make it fire just like a machine gun and uh, you know New Zealand banned assault rifles after the murder of of all the folks in it that were in the in a synagogue I believe uh, I'm not sure in uh, New Zealand but they went ahead and they, they banned it banned them but here you know, when they when they accept children as being young as six and seven being murdered by assault rifles and they didn't do anything about it, well we have a long fight going ahead of us to get these things off the off the market and stop killing people with these assault rifles. And I feel very, very bitter about that, you know, that they that they haven't done anything about it about uh, banning those rifles. I've got a few things I want to... Uh, in fact, the kid that murdered those children was 20 years old. He was 20 years old. Can you... I can't imagine what, ha what he... you know, put him to that point where he would murder those children. I'm going to read some poems today for a while and uh, about Vietnam and the first one I'm going to read is is one that, that a lot of people didn't know that happened in Vietnam and that has to do with after a battle that if the bodies weren't buried in a grave of the people we killed they were put in a pile and they were burned they were burned and this is a poem about that the body burning detail three soldiers from the north burned for reason of sanitation arms shrunk like flippers charred buttocks thrust skyward they burned for five days it was hard to swallow, difficult to eat, with the sweet smoke of seared flesh like a fog everywhere. Twenty-five years later, they burned still. Across senses and time, the faint unwelcome odor 
rises in odd places with a load of leaves at the city dump, a floating wisp of smoke from a burning soldier mingles with the stench of household garbage. Once while watching young boys kick a soccer ball, the death smell filled my lungs and I ran, choking, panic, unfolded, fluttering wings of fear and remorse, a narrow escape. A letter snatched from the flames the day we burned them is hidden away in a shoebox with gag birthday cards, buttons, strings, rubber bands, a letter from home, the oriental words delicately framed and still a mystery. That was written by a soldier after he had, uh, by a soldier named Bill Jones that had written, written that poem. And I never had to do that, and I'm really glad I never had to do that. Uh, I feel sorry for this guy. You know, that's just like I feel sorry for people who worked in grave registration. And grave registration is when they would bring the bodies in, and the grave registration would clean them up, get them all ready to ship home. And uh, those folks really have a hard time, even to this day, uh, after working in grave registration. They, uh, we interviewed some folks here that worked in grave registration, and I believe it was Iraq. Uh, there's, you know, I, I want to say something about Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria. I read an article where 60% of the people who fought in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria said it wasn't worth it. They said it wasn't worth it of sending American troops over there. And that is just, that's really very interesting. And now, you know, not only are they our brothers and sisters uh, from combat, they also now are brothers and sisters uh, with us Vietnam vets who felt the same way that sending us to Vietnam was just, you know, unnecessary. And the Korean veterans, you know, felt the same way when they came back. You know, why were we there? And, you know, the 40% that supported are probably guys, we called them lifers, <laughs> you know, that stayed in the military for 20, 30 years. They supported it, but uh, 60% of the soldiers uh, in Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, and Syria said it's not worth it. And uh, I kind of believe them that, it, that it's not worth it, that they, that they uh, sent them over there to fight a war that didn't mean anything. They never got anything purpose. There was no exit tread there. Here's another little one, little point that was written. I'm not sure who this was written by. Uh, was, so I'm going to uh, read this here to you. They refused to put pa papaya and mangoes or lychees in the fruit salad. It's just not American. So instead, I am stuck with this sour apple that sticks between my teeth. That was written by a Vietnamese, I can guarantee you. Because, boy, I tell you, mangoes, papaya, and lychees are really good in a salad. And I've had it many a time. I know that, you know, that the, the two songs that I started out with, the one about the soldiers being, you know, soldier being sent to war and his family so proud and all that that's really hard to take and then so is brothers in arms that's another one that's really hard to take but when you know going off to war is a big you know to do and all that but coming home is really the hard you know it's hard and uh those songs really really bring it out how 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 hard it is all these years later, I think the problem was not with our film or our eyes or our minds, but with our anticipation. 
We weren't looking for beauty in Vietnam and consequently couldn't see it. Vietnam is really a really a pretty a pretty pretty country. I remember when I first got there, I didn't really think about it that it was that pretty. And uh but when when I got finally got sent up to where I was going to go and I got to go out and uh I saw how pretty that country was. You know, it was just green and beautiful flowers and and uh just just real lush lush place you know and the war just just destroyed a bunch of the country the agent orange they sprayed uh just destroyed large parts of that country but it was really a beautiful they have one when we were living Laurel and I were living in Vietnam we went to a uh, a sanctuary for lemurs. They had this really interesting uh, uh, place that they rehabilitated lemurs, and these lemurs, there was so many lemurs in there that was just so just so fun to watch them. You know, I, I never saw any during the war, but these were just beautiful. It was up in the north and northern part of Vietnam in the mountain area and these they these lemurs were just jumping all over the place and there was some that you know had missing arms you know and arms you know and legs and, and tails and things that were abused but they were brought there to be taken care of to, to spend the rest of their life in happiness you know away from the dangers of what was going to be on was happening to them and also they uh they have a sanctuary there for bears because people would get these bears when they were young and they would chain them up or put them in cages in their restaurants and there would be like a a, a, a big bear and maybe a little bear with them and and um just you know they didn't have any room to move they in the same place 24 hours a day uh, there started to be a big change in that where the government was uh, having people to you know turn turn those animals in and and get them rehabilitated and maybe sent back out into the forest uh, where they belong i remember going into a restaurant with Laurel and some of the people from the uh acting company and we walked in when we walked in there was this bear in there chained up and I asked him, you know, why why are you doing this? Why you got this bear chained up, you know? And and uh, the actors just looked, you know, they they didn't like it at all. And I heard a few years ago from one of the actors that uh, the bear had been taken away from the restaurant and and taken to rehab and and sent back out into the forest where it belonged. So, the, you know, there's some really, you know really gorgeous uh, animals in Vietnam, birds and elephants. There was elephants in Vietnam, so that, you know, that's kind of interesting. <clears throat> it is, this is no country for the young. The American boys pay no attention to me. An aged man dozing in the, in the shade, a bag of bones in a loincloth. They do not know my eldest son died with a bayonet from a Japanese. They do not know my father was executed by the French for the plot of 1907. They do not know that at night these wrinkled but steady fingers place detonators in landmines that will make bones of their young bodies. Our troops are fighting our Vietnamese war in Cambodia. My, my serene philosophy is like teak splinters in the jungle. That's by an older man, older Vietnamese man. And Sonia, I think I want to go ahead and play uh, the next song. If you got it already. 
Oh. Yes. Yeah. That's the one.
in a lift ship near Huey. The door gunner is in a trance. He's that driver who falls asleep at the wheel between Pittsburgh and Cleveland, staring at the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Flares fall where the river leaps. I go stiff. I have to think tropical. The door gunner sees movement. The pilot makes small circles. Four men running, carrying rifles. One man on a bicycle in the midst of the jungle. He pulls me out of the ship. There is firing far away. I'm on the back of a bike, holding his hips. It's hard pumping for two. I hop off and I push the bike. I'm brushing past trees. A man on the bike stops pumping. He lifts his feet. We don't waste a stroke. His hat falls off. I catch it behind my back, put it on. I want to live forever, like a blaze streaming down the trail. That's from a song that was written, uh, and the song was called Napalm. And if you remember, we've talked about uh, napalm, uh, which is this gel that they used, uh, and they could uh, drop these bombs and the, and the napalm would be on fire and would just burn everything. Uh, not only, you know, it burned people, but it also burned all the foliage around everywhere. And uh, a lot of Americans died because of the these bombs were dropped too close to them. And if they didn't die from burning to death, uh, they would suffocate because the napalm would suck all the air out and and people would would die uh, from from not being able to breathe this is called the letter to a north Vietnamese, to a north Viet, to a north vietnamese soldier uh whose life crossed paths with mine in Huey, February 5th, 1968. This is written by an American soldier. Though you killed me with that rocket, thought you killed me with that rocket, well, you nearly did. Splattered walls and splintered air knocked me cold and full of holes and brought the roof down on my head. I lived long enough to wonder often how you missed how long enough to wish to many times that you had? What's it like back there? It's all behind us here. And after all those years of possibility, things are back to normal. We just had a special birthday. And we found again our inspiration by recalling where we were from and forgetting where we'd been. Oh well, we're still hanging, haggling over pieces of lives sticking out beyond the margins of our later history books. But no one haggles with the authors. Do better than that, you cockeyed gunner with the brass to send me back alive among the people I, I have never feel at ease with anymore remember where you've been and why and then build houses build villages dikes and schools songs and children in their green land I blackened with my shadow and the shadow of my flag remember Ho Chi Minh was a poet please do not let it all come down to nothing that's a really a good point because a lot of guys uh, have gone back to Vietnam and and the early the the guys that went back early uh, went back and they built schools, they built hospitals, um, the daycare centers, uh, they brought doctors with them, uh, they brought the uh, uh, doctors uh, to make eyeglasses, they made uh, soccer fields. And they did that a lot, 
and later people came they brought you know educators came over and taught school and taught classes in in English and literature like like Laurel did you know Laurel went and she taught at the universities in in Vietnam and trying to make up you know that uh, that's a lot of guilt you know these guys that went back early uh were, had so much guilt about what had happened uh, if you look at pictures that these guys took uh, you know they went back uh it's always lots of pictures of children lots of pictures of children and you know the guilt that we have because of what happened to those children uh, it's really really hard to take but you know you do what you can you know you go back and you do what you can you watch with admiration as I roll a cigarette from papers and tobacco Hanoi the rising dragon 1985 you don't do what I can do because it takes two hands and you have only one the other lost years ago somewhere in Laos I roll another one for you you smile then shrug as if deformity from war were just a minor inconvenience together we discover what we share Hue City Tet 1968 Sipping Lumoy, we walk again, familiar ground, when you were whole and I was whole and everything around, around us lay in ruins, dead or burning, but not us, not you or I. We're partners in that ugly dance of men who do the killing and the dying and surviving. Now you run a factory, I teach and write. You lost your arm, but have no second thoughts about the war you fought. I lost a piece of my humanity, an absence heavy as a revered arm. But there I go again, those second thoughts I carry always like an empty sleeve when you are happy just to share. A cigarette, a lumoy, a simple joy of being with an old friend. I noticed that when I went back that the Vietnamese, they were very, very nice to us uh, when they found out that we were soldiers. They they were very kind and and very, just, I, I just can't really explain it, just something about the way they treated us. Uh, I remember when we were in Saigon and we were riding in a cyclo. It's one of those bi uh, bicycles that have seats on the front of it and, uh, and they take you around. I remember we were going through Saigon and these two kids, probably maybe 15 and 14 years old, came up beside us on a horse. And the one kid reached out and he, hit, and he held my hand for probably 10 minutes as we rode along. He just held my hand. And, you know, I don't think that would happen here. But, you know, it was very nice. It, it just, it was very, very nice. And uh, I felt, you know, a little more comfortable uh, after, you know, that it happened. Somewhere I have a picture of that at home. I think Mike took a picture and uh, I think I have it at home. Uh, somewhere where you know this young kid was holding my hand as we were going down the road and they seem to they don't f forget but they do forgive they do forgive and that's really really wonderful that they can do that where here well, we do not forget or forgive this country does not forgive or forget and uh, that's a really a sad, sad, sad statement for our country. You drifted from across the sea, 
under a carmine moon framed now in my doorway by what I tried to forget curly headed and dark skin you couldn't escape eyes uh, taking you apart come here son let, let me see if they castrated you those nights I held my mother against me like a half broken shield the wind's refrain etched my smile into my face. And that's how you found me. You were born disappearing. You followed me, blameless, as a blackbird in Hui, singing from jutted jade. Son, you were born with dust on your eyelids, but you bloomed up in trenches where stones were stacked to hold you down. With only your mother's name, you've inherited the inchworm's foot of earth. Dewey boy, I blow the dust off my hands, but it flies back in my face. That story, that poem's about uh, uh, Amerasian children th that were born in Vietnam to Vietnamese women and Vietnam and American soldiers. Um, these children were called dust in the wind, that nobody wanted them. In towns and cities, they used to uh, all hang out in, in, uh, in certain areas. Uh, they were picked on. They were beaten up. They were used and abused. They couldn't get an education. And you could really spot these kids. You know, if their father had been African-American, these children were really dark-skinned and some of them had curly hair. If they were born to a, a white soldier, they were really white and light-skinned and light-colored hair and light eyes. And they were, like I said, very, very mistreated. Uh, it took a while for the people to make make uh, this government take those children back, because those children are citizens. Uh, uh, you know, their father was an American, so they're an American, and they had a program that would bring these children to the United States. Uh, they could bring their mothers and I think their grandparents and their sisters and brothers uh, with them. And they uh, and come back here, and one of the really sad things about what happened, um, just as the war was ending and uh, Saigon was about to fall, uh, there was uh, I can't remember what airlines it was, but they were going to fly uh, these babies, these Amerasian babies, uh, back to the states, and the first uh, plane uh, took off and it crashed. And it killed every everybody on it, the pilots, the children, the stewardess, and the helpers. It, it killed them all. Uh, but another planes took off. I met one of the ch uh, uh, a woman that had been one of the children on the plane, on the second plane, and she felt so lucky to be, you know, here. Uh, she has no idea who her father was or where he was from, but. Uh, you know, she was an American. She's an American citizen, and they have every right to be here. The French took their kids back. They didn't have a problem with it when the French pulled out of Vietnam. They took their children back, but not this country. They weren't going to take them back. So, from the missing in action, hazed with harvest dust and heat, the air swarms with a uh, flying husk. As men whacked rice sheaves into bins, and all across the sun-struck fields, red flags hung from bamboo poles. Beyond the last tree line on the horizon, beyond the coconut palm and eucalyptus, out in the moon zone, puckered with bomb bombs, the dead earth, where no one ventures, the boys found it, foolish boys riding their buffaloes in craterlands where at night bombs thump and ghosts howl. A green patch on raw earth. 
and now they've led the farmers there. They're kerchiefed women with baggy pants, the men with sickles, flails, and children herding ducks with a switch, all staring from a crater berm, silent. In that dead place, the weeds had formed a man where someone died and fertilized the earth with flesh and blood, with tears, with longing for loved ones. No scrap, no scrap remained. Not even a buckle survived the monsoons. Just a green creature, a vinyl man, supine with posies for eyes, butterflies for buttons, a lily for a tongue. Now when huddled asleep together, the farmers hear the rusty footfall of the leaf man rises and stumbles to them. Uh, Vietnam. Vietnam had, I don't know if they still have this many, but they had about 300,000 missing in action. Uh, their soldiers never came home. Uh, they sent uh, teams down into the south to try to find them. They would talk to people. Uh, even a veterans here sent uh, information over uh, if they could remember where areas where they had buried uh, bodies. Uh, they looked, and, and the Vietnamese looked and looked and looked for, for the bodies of their missing. I remember early on that on Sunday mornings, for about two hours or more, there would be pictures on the TV, a picture of a man and what unit he was in and where he was last known to be. And they did that for two hours constantly, showing these pictures and and uh, trying to hope somebody would remember uh, who this person was and, and could find him, uh, go down and find him. One of the doctors who, Vietnamese doctors who uh, would operate on soldiers, when they would die, he would write on a small piece of paper and put it in a small glass, a little bitty glass jar looking things and would put it in their mouth when they buried them. So when maybe they would uh, come and, and find them, they would dig them up and they would know who they were. Uh, Lonnie sent me a picture in a little story about uh, it was on the news in Hanoi and she sent me it and it was a, a picture of a canteen uh, a belt buckle and some other little small items and it was one of the bodies that the Vietnamese had found in the, in the south uh, up in the central highlands where I was at and they were asking uh, uh, people who had fought in that area and and who were uh, could remember if one of their friends had been killed and they'd buried him. And it was a North Vietnamese soldier because of the belt buckle and stuff. And that was uh, to find out, you know, if anybody could say, yeah, I, I knew who where this guy was and everything and who he was. So they're still looking. They're still looking for their people. And got to give them credit for that. They're still looking. I'm going to look for one more in here. Men start digging in the ground, propping shadows against trees. Outside, uh, trees outside of uh, Hanoi. But there aren't enough uh, bones for a hash pipe. And they carve new names into the polished black stone. We throw dust to the wind and turn faces to blank walls. Names we sing in sleep and anger cling to willows like rivers mist. We splice, splice voices onto tapes and we can't make one man walk the earth again. Not a single song comes alive in the ring of the broken teeth on the ground. The sunlight presses down uh, for an answer, but nothing can make uh, make the that C-130 over Hanoi come out of its spin, uh, spiraling like a flare in a green sky. 
After the flags folded, the living fall into each other's arms. They're left, they've left spaces trees can't completely fill. Pumping breath down tunnels won't help us bring ghosts across the sea. Peasants outside of Plasky City insist the wildflowers have changed colors. They're what the wind and rain have taken back. What love couldn't recapture how less than a silhouette grown into the parrot's perch. Uh, this one died looking up at the sky. That's about a poem about the uh, the Vietnamese and the Americans looking for our soldiers over there that died in uh, plane crashes or were killed in a battle uh, or you know, may have been a prisoner of war and died and were buried out in the jungle. So that's all. I'm just about out of time here. And um, if you're going to go downtown tomorrow, be really, really careful and, you know, watch out for each other. And we need to show these folks that uh, these people coming into Portland with their hate and anger and just meanness that we we're not we're not going to accept that and we will be down there i hope there's 10 of us for every one of them uh, i'll be back on september 20th at 9 a.m and sonia there it is oh i march to the battle of new orleans at the end of the early british wars Young land started growing, the young blood started flowing, but I ain't marching anymore. For I've killed my share of engines in a thousand different fights. I was there at the little big horn. I heard many men lying, I saw many more dying, but I ain't marching anymore. It's always the old to lead us to the wars. Always the young to fall Now look at all we want with a saber and a gun Tell me is it worth it all And this is KBOO Portland It's coming up on 10 a.m. at which time we will hear Disability Justice and Film at 11 will round out the hour followed by Pacific Underground, talking about Japanese-American summer celebration of Oban. And don't forget that you can hear all these programs after they air at kboo.fm or on iTunes or Google Play. All these KBOO programs are made possible by members' support. So those of you who have not yet become members of the KBOO Foundation can do so quickly and easily at kboo.fm and use the mobile app, or and then click on the little rectangle there that says Donate. Some important news about what's going on in your community. And then, as promised, disability justice. Stay tuned. Kibu Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of Dundee Lodge Campout Volume 2, the Fringe Art and Music Festival on August 16th, 17th, and 18th at Dundee Lodge in Gaston, Oregon. Dundee Lodge Campout Volume 2 features art, unlimited camping spots, a full bar, food carts, a nearby lake, and performances by Marisa Anderson, Pink Reason, Amps for Christ, Lavender Flu, and many, many more. This is an all-ages event. 